Quilting Company Podcast, where quilters who love all aspects of the craft from traditional and contemporary to art and modern share their passion and perspectives on all things quilty. I'm Carrie Sisk. I'm Lori Baker. And I'm Tracy Mooney. The three of us jump right into our open studio segment as we discuss passing the sewing and quilting legacy on to future generations. Then, Luana Rubin, owner of eQuilter, and her daughter Sophie. Join Tracy and her daughter, Sydney, in our studio to continue the conversation on how quilting has bridged the generational gap in their families. And like always, we'll finish up with our Fine Finishes segment. Today, we talk quilt labels. Make sure to check out our show notes for each episode at quiltingcompany.com slash podcast. And remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you tune in. Stick around and join in the conversation. All right, ladies, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you, Carrie? Oh, I'm great. I'm good. (laughs) Well, we're a little wacky because things are a little out of order. So we're starting with our open studio (laughs) segment. And then we're going to go into our Around the Quilt frame where Tracy talks to Luana Rubin and her daughter, Sophie, and your daughter. Yes, I do. Very exciting. But first, we're going to discuss between the three of us about passing the legacy on to the next generation. So quilting through the family generations. Um, So when we were talking about this and planning this episode, I think both of you started talking about how quilting might skip a generation, and I had never in my life heard of this. So where does this come from? Do you have any idea? I had heard a bunch of people when I was quilting, um, and I'm trying to remember who it was. It must have been on one of the TV shows back in the 90s. And they always talked about, uh, you know, they'd ask the quilters who were guests if if their children quilted. And most of the time they were like, nope, <laughs> nope, or or no, my mother didn't sew, but my grandmother did, and that kind of thing. So I expected that to happen, and it didn't. Did you ever get to the bottom of those people's stories? Like, was it, did they have any reasons to give you for that? From From what I've deduced— Oftentimes when I've asked people, when I've talked to them personally, if I know someone who said, oh, no, my kids didn't sew, and I asked them, you know, did they teach them? It seemed to me, and this is just an outsider's interpretation, but it seemed to me like they put too much pressure Mm. on the kids as they were learning to sew and wanting them to do it the right way. That makes sense. So when my kids started to sew, didn't put that pressure on them, like especially Sydney. Sydney, I realized when she was four that really she just wanted a creative outlet. And at times that meant I would show her how to do something and then walk away because it's not my project. Right. So to me, I want her to have fun. I don't want her to do it precisely and pull out seams if they're not perfect. And that's actually how... I when I I was actually taught children's classes, um, and that's how I teach. So I show a technique, I tell them how to do it, I tell them how to do it safely, and then I let them at it. So in your case, quilting has not skipped 
a generation? No. With the, your kids? Oh, I've got three kids, and only one of them doesn't sew. And the one that doesn't sew is the one that I decided I should send to a class and have someone else teach. Oh, right. Okay. So and he stitched he over like his finger <laughs> oh. and never sewed again. I get that. I've done that. It's not fun. <laughs> I've, I've never done that. Oh, it's awful. So. Uh, Lori? Okay, so I have five children. Mm-hmm. My daughter, the one that you would expect to sew in my generation. Mm-hmm. Nah, she doesn't want to sew. No. She does not like to sew. She has completely different ideas than I do. And I wasn't smart enough to recognize that I needed to let her do what she wanted to do. So she doesn't sew. My Three of my four sons sew. And, but I think I'd figured some things out by the time they came along. <laughs> that yeah. makes a difference. Yeah. <laughs> and does one sew more than the other? I can never keep your kids straight because there's like 20 of them. <laughs> five. <laughs> Just five. Okay, so Lige, he's the... He's the youngest, and he's the one that, that does the most projects. He's got a project coming up in one of my issues. Are you serious? I'm very serious. I did not know that. Yes, he designed a quilt. That is very, very cool. Yeah. Oh, Lori. Yeah, I'm Mama. delighted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, I have no, I've never heard of this before. Um, probably because I'm the first person ever in my family that I know of to be a quilter. Um, and the only reason that this came about is because I started working here. Right. And then, you know, I was never interested until, you know, very, you know, a little bit after I started working here. And then, of course, I get totally obsessed with it and it becomes a way of life. And it is something that's very important. And it's, like you said, Tracy, a good creative outlet. Mm -hmm. And I want my kids to do it because I feel like it's a really awesome part of history really you know it's a historical art it's gone on for thousands of years there's just so much to it and I want my kids to be a part of that because I feel like there's something really culturally cool about it Um, there's a community behind it Mm -hmm. it's a skill and you learn a lot about yourself from quilting it's very meaningful so I want I I I have to have my kids I have to have them do it um (laughs) You know, they're four and two, so I have time to <laughs> beat it into time. them. <laughs> you do have time. But, you know, it's also a, just a life skill. Mm-hmm. I mean, I my my boys aren't afraid to sew on a button or fix something that's, you know, if the handle has ripped off, you know, a bag or something. They know how to do it. Right. And I think that they think it's helpful. Well, and there are all sorts of other things. There are math skills mm-hmm. and, and color theory mm-hmm. and... All sorts of things that you can learn when you're working on quilting. Yeah, so much. And that's one thing that I thought about when we were talking about passing quilting on to the next generation was experiential learning. So you had already touched on that, Tracy, with teaching classes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like we all have shown our kids one way or another how to sew. Um, But it's fun for me. I don't know. If you still experience this since you two have been sewing a lot longer than I have, but it's really fun for me to look at the current quilt on my kid's bed and think, oh, my God, I could totally make that so much better. <laughs> like, look at the quilting they did on this. Right. Some machine just, like, slapped some quilting on there. <laughs> 
So it's really exciting, and it's a proud moment for me when that happens. Sure. I, I have a funny story about that. Oh, good. So Zachary was, he's my oldest. He's 28 now. And he was probably four or five, and he got a big boy bed. Now, I made him a quilt for his bed. I actually brought it in one time to show you guys. It was all appliqued with, like, cars and trains and stuff. There are rockets on it? Yeah. Is well, that the one on the blog? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. So um, so made that all by hand. So Zachary has grown up seeing mom make blankets, blankets. in his mind. Yeah. Right? Blankets. <laughs> you know, they're quilts. But. Right. So, um, so he gets a big boy bed. Grandma buys him a, one of those bed in a bag sets. Mm-hmm. And it's got Mickey Mouse sheets and pillowcase and, you know, the comforter. Hey, man, they're easy. Oh, he was thrilled. <laughs> yeah. So he, oh, it's Christmas morning. He opens up the package and he goes, Grandma, did you make this? <laughs> and <laughs> Grandma gave me such a look. <laughs> she was not amused. But that's what he thought. You and then know? she's like, yes, I did. <laughs> she, told, she was like, no, I bought it. Oh. And she was annoyed. Um, but that's what he grew up thinking, right. you know, if it goes on a bed, mom made it. Yep. <laughs> you know? And that's inspirational for our kids, too, to know that that is achievable. I never thought about these things when I was growing up because and it's, you know, not a bad thing. It was just a different way of doing it. It was also a different time. Yeah. And I, you know, I grew up in a place where that's not really something that at least from I know from what I know, that's not really what people spend their time doing. And so, I don't know, Southern California has a big quilting group. <laughs> I'm sure they do. And maybe I just, I was never introduced to it by anyone that I knew. So, um, yeah. And there are great, great quilt shows in Southern California. Are there? Oh, yeah. Convention Center probably in Anaheim. Uh, Long Beach. Oh, okay. So, And is- I lived in Long Beach for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it was all oh. happening around me and I didn't even know it. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, let's see. What else? So there are plenty plenty of organizations that support passing the legacy of quilting on to future generations. Um, One that you brought to my attention, Tracy, is the Social Justice Sewing Academy. Mm -hmm. And I looked online at their website, and it's awesome. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of young people who are um, using sewing in all sorts of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of a pet peeve of mine to hear that people say that young people just aren't sewing. Mm -hmm. So not true. Yeah. So um, social um, justice, that particular group uses sewing to sort of – as an outlet Mm -hmm. um, to express themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, And – and there are so many kids who are doing all kinds of sewing beyond even beyond quilting because cosplay is huge. Right. Um, and if you're on Reddit, which is a website that younger people use, <laughs> which a lot of us older quilters might not know, but I have some kids who are on it. There are a lot of quilts on there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's an amazing amount of young people who are sewing and quilting. Yeah. Yeah, we um, actually are video studio here is taping a cosplay yes they are show right now yes they are i walked in there and it was like superwoman there's like yes. an outfit and yeah it was pretty so awesome. much cosplay is in the house yep <laughs> so i jotted down the mission statement for that social justice mm-hmm. sewing academy which will the link we'll put on our show notes page 
but it's piecing together youth voices, textile art, and community in a 21st century sewing circle. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Pretty awesome. You can follow them on Instagram and see lots of amazing photos. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. So do you know if it's like a a nationwide? I believe that there are smaller groups throughout, but I don't know that they're everywhere. Okay. I'll have to check that out. It's it's online for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so while we were put in, putting all this information together when we were discussing this podcast, this particular episode, we started naming off quilters that we knew were related to mm-hmm. one another. And there's quite a few of them, actually. Mm-hmm. So um, the first one that came to my mind, because when I was in the video department, I was part of the taping of one of their workshops, is Liz and Elizabeth Evans and their sister-in-laws, sisters-in-law. And... I mean, that's pretty neat. That's cool. You got to be friends first to (laughs) (laughs) want to do that with your family. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Marianne Fawns and Mary Fawns, Mm -hmm. mother and daughter. Um, And they've, I mean, Marianne Fawns actually has three daughters. And all three of them have somehow been involved in the quilting world. Rebecca Fawns was actually the producer for Quilty, Mary Fawns's quilt show and she's been behind the scenes in a lot of um quilty productions which i thought was pretty cool um and then the sisters i believe their names are Lori baker and what's angie's last name (laughs) angie brown (laughs) and we have so much fun sewing together yeah even though we're a long way apart you are a long way apart but you tend to text your accomplishments to one another. Yes. And and your mistakes. Yes. Yeah. We learned that through, I think it was a blog series on a, a block of the month mm-hmm. project. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was pretty cool. So when we were, so we had a, a lot of different relationships coming out. Um, and I think that's what kind of spawned the idea of Luana Rubin mm-hmm. bringing her daughter in and yes. meeting with you in Sydney. Right. So I remember seeing Sophie on Quilting Arts years ago. She is, it told me she was seven. That's um, crazy. The first time. And, you know, she's done books and she's, you know, works at a quilter. So it's going to be a really interesting conversation to hear what it's like. Yes. um, Growing up. Yep. um, With the mother of, you know, being the daughter of such a force in the quilting industry. Mm hmm. Luckily, she's into it. Because if you weren't, can you imagine the wrath? <laughs> <laughs> well, she just wouldn't probably be part of the business. Yeah. You know? Right. Well, man, I want to be Luana Rubin's daughter. Right? Can you yeah. imagine the scrap bits? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> just jump right in and go, right. go for a swim. <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily, they um, accepted our invitation to come into our studio and have a chat. So let's listen to that and uh, meet Luana and Sophie and Sydney. Well, we have some special guests in the studio today. Um, welcome, Luana Rubin and her daughter Sophie from eQuilter. Hello. Hello. Nice to see you both today. We're happy to be here. We also have my daughter, Sydney Mooney, here in the studio as well. Hi. <laughs> Great to meet you. Yes, yeah, lovely to meet you. <laughs> So today, I think, you know, what's interesting is Mother's Day is right around the corner. Mm. And as we were planning our podcast sessions, we thought it would be really fun to talk about passing on the legacy of sewing. Mm. 
as I was an up-and-coming quilter and learning to quilt, I remember hearing people talk all the time about sewing skipping a generation. Mm -hmm. And so in my, with my children, Sydney's the youngest of three, and um, my oldest son um, actually would do hand quilting with me. Um, when he was two, I would let him pull out the needle, and um, and we would and he would unthread it every single time. Um, but he grew up and he still sews. Um, you know, not a lot, but he's not afraid of a sewing machine at all. My second son, I decided that I, I it would be better for me to have someone teach him. He took a class, sewed through his finger, and never touched a sewing machine again. Oh no! And then Sydney came along. Yeah. And Sydney has done a lot of sewing, right, Sid? Yeah. So as Sydney was growing up, we saw Sophie on Quilting Arts and on Mm -hmm. different um, television shows. You were on Simply Quilts, too, weren't you? No, I wasn't. No. Just Quilting. Just Quilting Arts. Four times. Wow, four times. (laughs) And I remember bringing Sydney in to see you. Oh, no. So um, Sophie, is she your only child or do you have other children as well? Two older boys. Do they sew? They did. Yeah, they've grown up in the family business. Nice. So when, Sophie, when did you start sewing? I started sewing, I think, when I was five, maybe? Five. And then uh, continued. And then quilting arts came Mm -hmm. when I was seven. And uh, yeah, I've been sewing since, since I was five. Did you have an interest in it, or was it just that it was around you all the time? I think it was that it was around me a lot of the time, and I grew up in the business, but I also had an interest for it. I would see Mom in the basement studio sewing, and I'd be curious as to what she was doing, and I, I just got into it. You know, it was, it was a lot of fun for me. Mm-hmm. You did ask me to have your own sewing machine at a very young age. I did. <laughs> <laughs> How old was she? Uh, four, I think. Mm-hmm. Sydney had a sewing machine when she was two that I just happened to buy her Mm. um, a small sewing machine that was for kids. And you started using it, I think you were about four. Yeah. And do you remember what you thought of that first sewing machine? No. She hated it. Oh. (laughs) Um, It was very loud. Mm. Oh, yeah. I have sensitive ears, so I hated <laughs> that it was loud. Mm. <laughs> so we ended up rehelming that sewing machine. Mm. Um, and then she started using my sewing machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Sophie sat on my lap when she was three and helped me feed fabric through. She probably doesn't remember that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I think Sid did the same thing. Mm. So the interesting thing is at the time that Sydney was little, um, I was working from home. And I was a mm. writer. So I... Uh, was st- I was working for an agency um, writing website copy, and I worked out of my house, and Sydney was probably three or four. Mm-hmm. And I remember one day, I just needed 20 more minutes to finish whatever I was writing. Mm-hmm. And she came in, and my office was, had my sewing machine and my sewing studio in it, mm-hmm. and she said, Mom, I want to I make something. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do, so I gave her a pack of charm squares and told her to lay out a nine patch. And she played with the charm squares for 20 minutes and then, and then said, okay, I'm going to go watch TV now and left. And I went, 
huh. And it was like a light bulb went off over my head that mm. really kids just want that creative outlet. It mm. doesn't even matter what they make. or mm-hmm. how, how did you feel about that? Did you, do you, did you always feel like she needed to learn proper techniques or did you just realize she needed a creative outlet? Yeah, I think I gave her uh, supplies, kind of like art supplies, but sewing supplies mm-hmm. to play with when she was a baby. And she loved it. And so she grew up with pieces of fabric and color, and it just sort of evolved from there. Nice. So do you guys have your own sewing supplies? Like your own stash of fabric or threads or? Not really. I just steal from yours. (laughs) (laughs) You have purchased fabric, though. Yeah, (laughs) but I usually just use yours. That's true. Yeah, I I think... I more go off of the scraps mm-hmm. from Equalter and also just um, I have some thread, but there's still some that I, I sneak some from her. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a whole thread case with about 100 colors in the basement that somebody gave her. Oh, or, I do? Yeah, from a show. You forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been down but in the basement in a while. <laughs> you, you have to realize our situation is kind of special because we have like the world's greatest scrap bins, you know? Oh, I so can imagine. She's, she's uh, a lot of times she'll just be like, oh, I want that. And I say, what are you going to do with it? She says, I don't know. <laughs> I just think it's pretty and I want it. I said, that's a quilter in the making. <laughs> Very true. I was going to ask if you had like free reign over the store or if you had like an allowance of how much <laughs> I, I have free reign over the scraps <laughs> which is probably pretty amazing yeah <laughs> so Sydney I, I remember you know taking her to a quilt shop for her first time and she actually picked out fabrics mm-hmm. but we would go to say festival which mm. was in Chicago where we lived mm-hmm. um, and people knew her because they knew me mm-hmm. um, and she would do you remember getting recognized? Yeah. So tell that story about what happened. I was looking for mom, and I was looking around, and all of a sudden I hear, is that Sydney? And I turn around, and this lady is like, you were from Generation Q. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, I love you. That's so so Sydney, yeah, Sydney started, she was actually a senior editor. I mean, uh, sorry, I was a senior editor. <laughs> um, she was a junior editor in Generation Q. We had a kids project in every issue. Mm. And so she did almost every project of Generation Q, of mm. every magazine of, of Generation Q at project for kids. Yeah. Um, there were probably two that she didn't participate in in that whole time. So wow. that was a lot of projects. And so she actually started to become more recognizable than me. It was really pretty funny. Um, but people used to stop her and say, I know you, or give her stuff. Do you mm-hmm. find that when you go to like quilt shows, do the you know, manufacturers and, and store owners like recognize you and and give you goodies? There there have been times, yeah. Um I think at market this year it was a lot of, oh I recognize you or I haven't mm-hmm. seen you in, you know, however many years. Mm-hmm. Or they say to me, where's Sophie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So was that your first market? Yeah. This this fall was my first market. What did you think? It's a hectic two, three days, but it was it was a lot of fun to just being able to also see my mom in action. You know, it's it's always been fun to watch her do her thing with buying and figuring out what we're going to have in a few months. And you've been to festivals several times. Mm-hmm. I have. Yeah. 
But market is so different. Um, mm. You know, I've, I definitely feel like I'm in my element at market. Um, what was it like to watch your mom? Like she was in her element. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was, yeah. It was just kind of interesting from, to learn that side of the business. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. It's, it, it was, it was really interesting this year. You know, I've, I've seen her do her thing when the, our, the reps come to Equalter, but it's, it's a different side of her to see her doing it at market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, you know. Sydney has wanted to go to market for quite a while. Yeah. And every time it's like during school time and I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, you only just recently became old enough to be able to go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was the case for us. Yeah. It's a big deal. So someday. Yeah. (laughs) Someday. Then you can hang out together. (laughs) So tell me more about when you were learning. So do you remember your, you know, one of your first projects? Um, And was it something that I taught you to do or was it? A class. Mm, it was something that you taught me because I remember I liked making stuff for my stuffed animals. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like blankets or pillows and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And what about you? Do you remember some of your first projects, um, Sophie? <laughs> there was a stuffed pillow, heart pillow, right? Yeah, there there was. <laughs> thanks. <so. laughs> There, there was one pillow that I made. It's, it's a pretty small pillow, um, and I sewed the fabrics together. I stuffed it, and then I closed it up, and I, I drew on one side of it because it was blank <laughs> on one side and had a nice flower pattern on the other. And I gave it to my grandma, um, and for years she just had it sitting on her bed, and it was so cute every time I saw it. Nice, <laughs> you know, something that she she kept and put on her bed every every morning. <laughs> Usually awesome. that goes in the other direction, right? Grandma's making for their grandchildren. That's yeah. true. That is very true. But it did skip a generation in our family. So my grandma's taught me, but now Sophie is making things to give to her grandma. That was nice. the skip generation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, interesting. So I discovered early on that based on my own frustrations of learning to sew, because I'm predominantly self-taught, um, but it took me a while to realize that better quality um, threads and fabrics make better quality projects. Mm. And so pretty early on, I realized that, you know, Sydney needed a better sewing machine. Mm. Um, clearly from that first one, mm-hmm. that was really mm-hmm. kind of a toy. It was mm-hmm. a step up from a toy, but still. Mm-hmm. Um, she needed something with a little more flexibility with, um, you know, I, uh, things that I like for kids or speed control, Mm. built-in scissors, Mm -hmm. um, needle up, needle down, Um, you know, those kind of things that make quilting Mm -hmm. easier for a kid, especially if they need to stop and readjust their hands. Um, So Sydney early on got a pretty intermediate level sewing machine Mm -hmm. that, you know, was pretty expensive. And I remember all of my friends thinking we were crazy, Mm -hmm. but she sewed so much. Mm -hmm. It was worth it. How did you guys handle sewing machine? Well, she wanted to sew on my machine all the time, and I said, I better get you your own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. That right. sounds about right. Yeah. I think I felt the same way, just because if I needed it to sew, mm-hmm. then. <laughs> yeah. mm, and but, she wanted to work at the same time. We needed well, to. She clearly recognized that my machine was better than her little, you know, Entry level machines. My and little Hello K- Green Hello Kitty. 
machine. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly the one you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sydney's first was the Hello Kitty as well. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and then she progressed uh, beyond that one as well. So mm-hmm. um, I I think that it makes a big difference. And I think once you're used to using a higher higher level machine, mm-hmm. it's not even quality. It's like just it has more bells and whistles, mm-hmm. right? Um, you get used to it. And right. and especially for kids, a lot of the sewing machines, like you, you need to get a certain level just to have those things that make it easier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, so, Sophie, do you work in the store? What kind of things do you do at eQuilter? So I, I do have school, um, but on breaks and that sort of stuff, I, especially over the summer, um, I work at eQuilter. Um, I work in the buying department. I help type up orders from manufacturers and I also just help restocking our inventory. Um, but I also work out in the warehouse. So there are, I, I I help to pull orders, um, for our customers and I don't know. In the workshops, you actually, that's a big deal. Yeah. And, and on the weekends and yeah, mainly on the weekends, I, I, I help out in the classroom if we have one of our charity sewing events or we have a teacher come in and we have a workshop. I help out there too. How wonderful. I bet you pick up a lot from the teachers that come in. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I I try to listen as much as possible when there's lectures going on mm-hmm. and just pick up what I can. Do you have any favorites uh, or, you know, something interesting tip or a favorite teacher? Um, I, I don't have a particular favorite teacher. I, I enjoy all of the teachers that come through our, our space and, um, She's so diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> she is. Um, but uh, one of my favorite classes, I think, was with Betty Busby, uh, and it yeah. was a dye class, and I got dye to, class. I got to, um, paint and paint some fabric and just have fun. Mm-hmm. That sounds amazing. Do you like to paint? Mm-hmm. Same. Cindy <laughs> <laughs> likes to paint yes. too. <laughs> I'm in painting right now. Oh, nice. Uh, Would you ever be interested in painting on fabric? Yeah. Sounds like fun. Mm -hmm. Maybe we need to get you a class. (laughs) (laughs) We have a dyeing class this summer. Nice. Tie dyeing, ice dyeing, ombre and shibori dyeing. We're both going to be in the class. Fantastic. (laughs) That sounds like fun. Yeah. So I know for me, it's really been a joy to pass on a teaching sewing and quilting to my kids how do you feel about it i mean really i mean it must be i'm not gonna put words in your mouth (laughs) well i just remember that i guess some of the greatest joys of my young life was when my grandma's taught me how to sew and in other needle arts and painting arts and i have such a passion for that and you know, Sophie, we adopted her from China when she was a baby because I had two boys and I really wanted to have a daughter who hopefully would be interested that, that I could pass this on. And fortunately, she has been interested. And uh, it's, you know, to share your, your greatest joy and passion with your, your daughter or, or your son is just so special. It really is. That's an amazing story, and I realize that we have that in common, two mm-hmm. older boys and yeah. a daughter. We yeah. didn't think we'd have a... 
a girl in my husband's family didn't have mm. any girls for mm. many, many generations going back. And oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. It was yeah. tricky. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I appreciate it. It has been so wonderful having you join us today. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for inviting us. It yeah. was great to, to visit with both of you. Oh, yeah. yeah thanks great. for yeah. Thanks for having us. It's so cool to hear how children learn from their parents. Um, Makes me excited about my kids learning from me. Eventually, I hope. But passing the legacy on doesn't only happen within families, but it also happens between teachers and their students, mentors, friends, even strangers can continue to tell the quilting story. And one way to do that is by adding a label to your quilt. So I'm going to pass it over to Lori to talk about labeling quilts and how we do that and why. Why? I want to start with why. Okay. My grandmother was a quilter. She made many, many quilts, and she gave them to people, particularly if they had a tragedy, a fire in their home, she'd give them quilts for every bit. And I lived in that community when I was a young married woman, and I could go to farm sales and auctions, and there would be quilts that were the style that my grandmother made, but I had no idea if they were her quilts or not because— They didn't label quilts then. So I think it's really important when we're talking about legacy to label our quilts. I don't know what's going to happen to my quilts, where they're going to wind up. Someday one of my grandchildren may look at a quilt and wonder, is that grandma's quilt? I want my grandchild to be able to look at the quilt and know. Mm Mm-hmm. That being said, all my quilts are not labeled. They should be. They should be. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I love it. There are lots of ways to label quilts. Mm-hmm. Um, I, a special quilt, like a kid's graduation quilt, that kind of quilt, um, I embroider a label on a, a machine-embroidered label. But sometimes the ones that... I know that are going to just be wallered around on the floor with the grape jelly and the dog hair. I <laughs> I simply use a marker and write on the back of the quilt. That's actually not a bad idea. It isn't. It works. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do that at whatever point in construction mm-hmm. you're at. Um, you can also just stitch. I I recently repaired a quilt for my son that my mother-in-law made, and I free motion stitched just the words to Lige from Grandma Baker with love. I saw that. It's very cool. I remember Mary-Kate Carpetris, who's a previous editor here. Um, she told me once that she always uses a Sharpie to label her quilts because people, like say it ends up in a thrift store down the line, sometime people can just rip off the fabric label. That's right. Oh, and I never thought of that. Yeah, I know. Huh? She's but she said. And so then I think her words were something along the lines of they would have to cut a hole in the quilt to get my label off. Not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. I usually try to um, if I plan ahead. <laughs> and I'm looking at Lori because I don't always do this, but I try to put the label on before I add the binding so that at least on two sides, like I put it in a corner, at least on two sides, it's stitched in. Hmm. Interesting. I've never thought about mm-hmm. that. That's how I do mine, too. Is it? Before the binding. Yeah. See, so I remember um, watching someone quilt over their label. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I don't like that. 
I don't know why. I just like the label to be like an adultery. (laughs) (laughs) Just like simply stitched on there, you know, securely. But now I'm thinking that might not be a good idea. I think they're thinking the same thing Mary-Kate was thinking. Yeah. And depending on on how stiff your label is, it might affect how your quilting looks from the top side. Yeah. Which is why I don't ever quilt through a label. You never quilt over the label. Do you, Tracy? No. No. Never done it? No. I The first quilt label I did, because I thought, I'm going to make all my quilt labels absolutely amazing. And that lasted that one quilt. <laughs> <laughs> and it was embroidered. Uh-huh. On really cool fabric that was printed like like paper labels, like sticker okay. labels. Mm-hmm. And so I took one of those labels, I cut, I fussy cut it, and then I um, put it in a hoop and tried to embroider it on a machine that I know nothing about and I had never embroidered a thing in my life. And it took, I think, like three days to figure it out. <laughs> and it's off center and <laughs> it was like the worst experience ever. And I'm like, oh, I'm never doing that again. I just have to get better at it, obviously. But by the time you get to the label, you're totally over it. You're so over it. So yes. over it. And the last thing you want to do is spend three days with an embroidery machine. Exactly. Out. But there are those quilters who really do impeccable labels. Yes. I mean, we, we get so many quilts in here, and every once in a while you see one. Mm-hmm. I have an example. You want to hear about it? Yes, please. So um, Audrey Hires, who's actually on the cover of the current Quilt Maker magazine, she did a um, a quilt that's called Playful Posies, and it's really colorful and has a mixture of of um, modern fabrics with um, re- 1930s reproductions. It's beautiful, so check it out. Um, but inside, she sent us a second quilt, and it was a sunbonnet sue that was made of blocks that she found that were orphan sunbonnet sue blocks. She had leftovers when she finished the quilt top, and... So she made the most amazing label I think I have ever seen. Basically, she wrote the whole story of the quilt top with these vintage, you know, found blocks and the fabric she was given from friends to make the top and wrote it all on this long label. And then she appliqued extra sunbonnet sues around it. I actually have a picture of it, so we'll put it up on the podcast page. It was incredible. So, Tracy, I sort of remember. Tell us how big it was. It was probably the size of a sheet of eight and a half by 11 paper. Like it really, the label was written out. And I'm pretty sure, I think if memory serves, she wrote it with like a a marker. Like a fabric Um, marker? But she wrote the whole story of the quilt top on it. It was amazing. So then that leads me to uh, (laughs) uh, what should we put on an ordinary label? Mm. I put the name of the quilt. Yes. And my name, the city mm-hmm. I live in, and the month and the year that I finished the quilt. Mm-hmm. If if I'm just getting, you know, quick and dirty, I just write my name and the year. Um, but I also try to put if I've given it to someone, I put who I, who the recipient was. Yes. I do that too. I put the name of the quilt. I put who it's to. I put sewn and quilted by. Um, and of course, it's always me. <laughs> um, let's see what else. I, I don't put the city and the state. And I it occurred to me while you were saying that, that we're talking about quilts, you know, falling into history. Right. You know? And so that's kind of more for 
when it goes down the line, mm-hmm. this was made in Littleton or Golden, Colorado. Well, and you have you have a name, Sisk. Yeah. That there aren't going to be 20 Carrie Sisks right. in the state of Colorado. There might be that many Lori Bakers in Colorado. Yeah. So so that's a way of of further identifying myself. Mm-hmm. That's a good tip, though. I should start doing that. All right. So I think we have time for one more item on our agenda here, and that is Annette's token quilt. And I think somebody has got to talk about this thing because it's really, really cool. Who's up for it? Lori and I are looking at each other. <laughs> We're looking <laughs> at each other. I remember the whole story <laughs> well enough to tell it. Carrie, Annette's father, or was it grandfather? Her, fa- her father, her right? Her father yeah. I think it was her worked father. during the war at a railroad station. And as soldiers would come through, he would trade tokens with the soldiers. So he had this container full of tokens. And Annette asked him for her his tokens and made this wonderful quilt and included the tokens mm-hmm. as a part of the quilt. It just, it's one of those things that gives you shivers mm-hmm. when you look at it. It's right. just. And each token is from a different city and it, it's completely different and it, it has, you know, some sort of special design from that city. So it's right. really cool. And she embellished the quilt as if they were buttons. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. She so did. Were, did she put holes in the tokens or did they come Some with of holes? them had holes. Um, I think maybe they drilled holes in some, though. Yeah. I think you would have to. Right. So did she put tokens on the label? Yes. Yes. That's awesome. Yes. And she created pockets on the corner of the quilt. I'm thinking of the right one, right, Lori? I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> and so she just got – she. <laughs> She actually made them look like she took denim pockets, but she actually, like, made them and stitched them to look like they were <laughs> jean pockets. It was amazing. <laughs> I was going to say, you know why? Because she's amazing. Because she, she's amazing. Yes, she's ridiculously amazing. Uh, yes. Well, that's very cool. I I love it. So I'm going to um, have to beef up my label-making process. Uh, not, me too. I don't think I'm doing it justice. <laughs> Well, on the way out, I just want to remind everyone to go to thequiltingcompany.com slash podcast to hear any of our show notes. We'll put Annette's quilt mm-hmm. up there if we have some pictures, which I think we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that uh, to let you know, we're gearing up for season two of the Quilting Company podcast, and we're super duper Yay! excited. Yeah. Very excited. Um, but nothing changes for us, right? So mm-hmm. we are going to continue on with our regular scheduled podcast. So every other Wednesday, you'll hear a podcast um, on your whatever podcast player you use. Re- yeah. Use is a good word. <laughs> uh, anyhow, so we'll have inspirational guests, captivating topics, and meaningful and fun discussions between friends and industry leaders with a bit of structural fine-tuning. You'll know what we mean when you listen in next time. So talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us. Bye, everybody. Bye now. Thanks so much for listening to the Quilting Company podcast. Remember, you can find more information about our sponsors or what we talked about today by visiting our show notes page at quiltingcompany.com slash podcast. 
If you haven't already subscribed, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And tell your friends. Thanks for listening and happy quilting. This podcast is produced by F&W Media Studios. Our editorial director is Trisha Patterson. Our consulting producer is Ron Doyle. Our audio engineer and editor is Kevin Mitchell. Our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer.